and welcome back to the Andy, the podcast from the newsroom of the Santa Barbara Independent. I'm your host, Molly McEnany, and just over a month ago, on January 28th, Santa Barbara recognized the 53rd anniversary of the 1969 oil spill that released over 3 million gallons of crude oil into the Santa Barbara Channel. And this month, the Santa Barbara County Board of Supervisors voted 3-2 against ExxonMobil's proposal to transport oil by thousands of tanker trucks along hazardous California highways. If you don't remember the first part of our Oil in Santa Barbara series, the plan would have helped the company restart three decades-old drilling platforms off the Santa Barbara coast that have been shut down since the refugio oil spill disaster seven years ago. Collectively, across the state of California, the output from offshore oil infrastructure has been shrinking dramatically over the last several years, producing 4.5 million barrels in 2019, down from 18.5 million barrels in 2014. It seems that there's a push to phase out offshore oil, but just how much is under state and local control? To discuss the issue, I first sat down with Supervisor Greg Hart to talk about his vote against the proposal and the long-term impact of oil in Santa Barbara. So, Supervisor Hart, when this trucking proposal was initially introduced, what was your first reaction? Well, I thought it was a novel idea to get around the problem of the pipeline having a catastrophic spill. But, you know, there are obviously some really dense technical issues involved in looking at the proposal. And uh, things changed over the course of the application because there's been a dramatic shift in the, the oil industry locally. And so um, ExxonMobil was adjusting to changing circumstances. One of the big things was the soon-to-be-closed um, oil refinery in South San Luis Obispo County owned by uh, Phillips. They, they changed their business model in the middle of this process, forcing Exxon to adjust its proposal. And that none of those things were imagined at the beginning of the process when the original proposal was brought forward to the public. And in November of 2019, three out of four Santa Barbara voters opposed ExxonMobil's proposal, saying that they were concerned about the safety of our highways and and residents nearby. If the majority of residents were worried about this, why do you think it was a split vote that really could have swung either way? I mean, 3-2 seems pretty close, is it not? Well, I think Santa Barbara has a long history with oil development. One of the very first places in the country to experiment with offshore oil, oil rigs. If you look at old historic photographs of the Summerland area and even the Mesa in Santa Barbara, you'll see hundreds of oil wells you know, right there on the bluffs and going on little piers out into the ocean. So we've had a long, long history of oil development in our county, and we've experienced you know, very significant catastrophic events. The 1969 oil spill was one of the signature environmental catastrophes you know, across the whole country. It, it literally galvanized the environmental movement and led to the, the foundation of Earth Day as a result. You know, I was a really young kid at the time. And uh, I remember it vividly, you know, folks from every aspect of life in the community came to the rescue, trying to you know, push the oil off the shore and throw hay on the, the oil that was on shore and rescue birds. And it was all, you know, pretty futile in the face of as much uh, oil as was blowing out of the platform offshore. You know, many, many people 
in Santa Barbara County have had their livelihood connected to that oil industry before Stearns Wharf was, was remodeled into what we experience today. It was an active industrial pier that serviced, you know, the oil industry in the channel. And it really didn't have a tourism component. It was, you know, a dangerous, dirty place with big machines on it. So, you know, people have been working in this industry locally for many, many years. There are many high paying jobs that come from that. So there's a tension between these things. And there's a tension as the industry has evolved over time. You know, now our economy is much more dependent on the tourism industry than it is on the oil industry. And those things are obviously in conflict. If we have a catastrophic oil spill, you know, tourism suffers. And when we had the experience of the, the severed pipeline and the, the oil spill that came from that, you know, the tourism industry hurt badly because people all across the planet heard the news that you know, Santa Barbara's beaches were closed by uh, an offshore oil spill. So we have to weigh and measure and balance those things. And my colleagues on the board, you know, individually weigh and balance those things differently. So I'm not surprised that we had a divided vote. The county has had election vote measures you know, they're on the ballot very recently to talk about oil development and, and the results are mixed. So, you know, this is a, a difficult, complicated transition that we're going through as a county and as a country and as a world as we evolve, you know, away from fossil fuel energy sources to more renewable sources, you know, which I think everybody agrees we need to do, um, but there is a disagreement about how fast we should do it and the ways we should do it. Definitely. And it does seem like a struggle between industry versus environmental safety and progression. So what was the discussion like over this proposal? And for you, what were the major pros and cons that you were juggling with? And why did the cons in the end outweigh the pros? Well, the most obvious issue is the safety. As we're trucking oil around the county, there is inherent risk in that. The environmental impact report for this proposal highlighted that and said, you know, there's a there's a class one adverse environmental impact from trucking because of the risk of oil spill. And it was ultimately what the decision was based on is, you know, is that risk outweighed by the benefits of the jobs and the tax revenue and the economic benefits that come from the oil production. And in my judgment, that risk was not worth that trade-off. And, you know, again, I, I looked at the relative impacts of the oil industry in the county, how many jobs, how much revenue it represents versus, you know, the tourism and hospitality and other businesses that are affected by the quality of life and the natural environment and, and, and how we're viewed, you know, by folks who are coming here to visit and spend money. And I, I just couldn't see how we could take on that risk for that relatively modest reward. And I'm also very concerned in the long run about the viability of the oil industry. And it's, you know, it's kind of funny to say that today as oil prices are very high and going higher. And, you know, we're in the midst of a war that has major ramifications for global oil supply. Obviously, Russia is a major oil supplying country in the world. Fortunately, the United States doesn't get um, as much oil from Russia as Europe does. And we're, you know, we're in a little bit of a different situation, but clearly these things are all connected and there's a consequence. And, and, you know, I think that this is a moment in history where it's very apparent, you know, to me, and I think many other people that we need to go away from 
codependence on fossil fuels. When we're, we're effectively, our economy um, is, is held captive by countries that are major oil producers and the political economic shocks that they can introduce into the global economy by policy decisions that they make that you know, are not in the interest of, of the world. You know, we would be better off from a national security standpoint to not be in that vulnerable position. And I think you know, we have to accept that there are going to be additional costs from that choice you know to to rush faster toward developing more renewable energy sources but there are significant benefits you know in addition to the environmental benefits that come from those renewable energy sources you know i think we're going to find that we will have more stability and more energy independence you know if we can get to that place and california is leading the way in that regard across the nation and really as a as an international leader we have very aggressive climate goals and we're you know we're making progress um, the challenges are great, and there are transitional issues that we have to work through. But my colleague on the board of supervisors, Doss Williams, has an app on his phone, and he, he spoke to this in the hearing that the content of our electrical grid, the, the amount of renewable energy that is available to the grid, you know, was fluctuating during our meeting between about 50% as a low and as high as 80% of the content of the electrical supply that we were using during that moment in time was coming from renewable energy. So there's, there's a lot of resources in the state of California that support um, the transition to renewable energy. We don't have enough uh, renewable energy supplies to handle our peak loads. Um, but we we gotta we gotta tackle that. We gotta invest more in batteries so we can spread that peak out, use batteries during that time. You know, shift some of the load into the off-peak hours. And electric vehicles are a great piece of that puzzle because most people who, who are driving electric vehicles, and I own one and, and know this directly from my own personal experience, you know, you're using your car during the day, and the time you charge it is at night when the when the loads on the electrical system are much lower. And so there's a real advantage to shifting the use of energy that way by having electrical vehicles charged late at night. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm optimistic. I think we're, we're doing the right things. But you know, it isn't going to be easy or simple to, to do the last bit of it that we need to truly be energy independent and to have a, a renewable energy infrastructure in California. And are there any proposals on the table right now or coming up that are seeking to expand the use of renewable energy in Santa Barbara? Yeah, the county, the Board of Supervisors, you know, is really taking the lead and, and we have had broad consensus. My colleague Steve Lavanino um, on the Board of Supervisors who voted, you know, differently than I did on this trucking proposal, he weighed the benefits and the costs in a different way, but he spoke directly in that hearing to saying that he is a strong advocate for investing in renewable energy and, and having the county's policies adapt and change. You know, he voted in favor of the wind farm that's going to be operating up in Lompoc, has been supportive of the county shifting its fleet to electric vehicles, you know, many other steps that we're taking to advance this agenda. But, you know, in his judgment, the, the jobs that were available from this project were significant. And, and his district being inland um, in Northern Santa Barbara County has more of those jobs um, than, than we have here on the South Coast because the, the inland portions of the county have a lot of onshore oil development still. So this is, this is the challenge is for us all 
to get to the place I think we all know we need to be, which is you know not having fossil fuels, adding greenhouse gas emissions, and increasing the the warming of our climate and 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 threatening the global environment. And you know I think we need to do more faster, but you know that that comes at a cost, and we have to figure out how to balance those costs equitably and fairly across all segments of our community. Then I mean you mentioned this earlier, but given the state of the world right now the oil crisis and how expensive gas is, do you think in the future oil companies are going to come back and put more pressure on offshore oil drilling, not only in Santa Barbara, but along the entire West Coast? Yeah, I think you heard that at, at the hearing on Tuesday with this proposal. There were many people who said specifically, you know, we need to, um, to wean ourselves off foreign oil by drilling more in the United States and more in California specifically and more in our channel. And, you know, I disagree with that. I think that is, is not learning the lessons of history. I think that we have had opportunities in the past, you know, during the OPEC oil shock in the 70s, when the Iranian revolution occurred, when the Iraq-Iran war happened, you know, during the Persian Gulf wars, we've had disruptions in oil supply that have led to big shocks to the global oil market. Prices have increased and gas, you know, became more um, expensive. And consumers, you know, don't like that and get tired of that. And, and I think, you know, what we have done some things in response to those crises to increase you know, energy efficiency, to raise the, the mileage for fleet vehicles and cars and light duty trucks in the United States. And, and those continue to pay dividends. But, you know, we need to do more and we need to take this crisis and use it to galvanize um, our efforts to invest in more renewables so that we can we can really get ourselves out of this situation where we're dependent on fossil fuels and, and often dependent on um, the importation of fossil fuels from stable parts of the world that we can't rely on. Well, thank you so much for explaining this decision and how nuanced it is, because I think at you know a surface level, it can be like, okay, if it's bad for the environment, we can't do it. But there are so many different factors that go into an industry like oil and you know America's long-term relationship with it and California's long-term relationship with it. So I really appreciate you talking to me today and then clarifying some things. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add about the vote that happened on Wednesday? No, you've asked some great questions, and you know I, I know that there are many people in the community on both sides of this issue. But you know my job is to represent the the residents of the second district in the, the county of Santa Barbara, and you know I heard loud and clear that you know we they want Santa Barbara County, they want the state of California, they want the United States to be leaders in the movement toward renewable energy, investing in in the new green energy resources that we're going to build. But we need to be intentional and we need to provide good paying jobs for the people that are going to make this transition. It's not enough just to say we need to get to the future. We need to take care of the people who are doing the work along the way. And, you know, I think that the county has some big decisions in that regard. So the two things go together with clean energy and good paying jobs as well. Well, thank you so much. Supervisor Greg Hart for joining me. I am excited to see what happens with the board's proposals or ideas about renewable energy in Santa Barbara. It seems very important for the state of California and also the constituency here who just is really environmentally forward. So thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you, Molly. It's really a pleasure to chat with you. Have a good afternoon. Given her constituency, 3rd District Supervisor Joan Hartman had more pros and cons to weigh, given the local job sector in her district has long-term ties to the oil industry. 
So I sat down with her to discuss why she decided to also vote against ExxonMobil's trucking proposal and how phasing out oil could affect the job market. So this proposal, when it came to the Board of Supervisors, what were your first thoughts? Well, it's it's been since really 2015 when the uh, oil spill happened at Refugio when line 901 of Plains All-American ruptured. And Exxon came in initially seeking an emergency permit. That decision was made by the Director of Planning and Development, Diane Black. By law, she had that prerogative to determine whether it met the criteria for an emergency to allow trucking at that time. And she said it did not. And that decision was not appealable. So then Exxon asked if they could just take the oil out that was already in the lines, because that could have created a, a fire hazard if, if we had uh, a wildfire in that area, like we the Alisol fire that we just had. So they were granted a permit to truck then, and Plains All-American is hoping to get a new pipeline in place. That's probably four to seven years out uh, if that is permitted. So we knew that Exxon would be coming, uh, but the real issue was we always thought that they would just be going up the 101 to the Santa Maria pump station and never really thought that they would seriously go over the 166. But when the pump station, when Philip 66 said, we're going renewable, we're closing this so that in San Francisco, we can uh, manufacture renewables that can replace jet fuel and diesel and gasoline. That put Exxon in a very difficult position because we'd ruled out 166 as too dangerous. Um, and, and I'd like to add something here, if I may. I chair the Highway 154 Safety Committee, and that road is closed to hazardous trucks, those carrying hazardous materials, including oil tankers. And the reason it's banned for those is because Lake Kachuma is there, and a spill to Lake Kachuma could contaminate our drinking water. And Highway 154, Caltrans and CHP will say, it has about average number of accidents for a road like that. Highway 166, however, has even more accidents than average for a road like that. So in other words, it is more hazardous than 154 where we've already banned trucks. So uh, that was very much in my thinking uh, in considering this issue when it came to the board. Now, your district includes Refugio State Beach, if I'm correct, and in Goleta, as well as Highway 101 and 154, as you said. So what were the pros and cons that you were weighing? What did you take into consideration, given your constituency, you know, weighing the danger that this would present, but also it's such a nuanced issue with, you know, jobs and how we need oil? What were you thinking about the pros and cons? Yes, well, my third district includes the Gaviota Coast, Goleta, uh, the city of Lompoc and all up and down the Santa Ynez River, including uh, the Santa Ynez Valley. So it's a, it's a very politically diverse, and this is a very divisive issue. But I think my constituents would be outraged if we allowed 170 truck trips of tanker trucks on 154. And so to understand, that's what 166 is. So the, the decision came down really to what are the benefits of the trucking proposal compared to the risks 
that it poses, which, which weighs more. And it was very interesting because the Exxon brought forward a traffic study that projected forward saying, uh, how many accidents would we expect over the next period of time? So they said, oh, on the 101, we would have one accident every 52 years. And on the Highway 166, we would project having an accident once every 17 years. And so that was the traffic study that they focused on uh, using traffic analysis. But then EDC interns came in and said, not, let's not look forward abstractly. Let's look backwards at what actually happened. And in our county, they pointed out we've had 15 tanker accidents. And on this very route, we've had eight in the past 15 years. So that really put a big question mark on the analysis that the Exxon proponents put forward. And so that really meant that the risks were understated, at least to my way of thinking. And we, we actually did have an accident on the 166 with an oil tanker that came very near to contaminating the Twitchell Reservoir, which is the source of drinking water for Santa Maria. So those things weren't adequately taken into account. Then there's the flip side where the benefits overstated, the issue about jobs and, and the economic value that Exxon and restarting all of this would, would provide. And the Environmental Affairs Board from UCSB pro provided some really interesting testimony. And I went back and uh, online and, and verified what they said, but that basically Exxon has locked out 650 of their workers in Texas and been accused of union busting. Um, they have since been able to sign a contract that they renegotiated, but their, their tactics were not very pro-labor in that situation. But I think one of the biggest things is that three investment firms, BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, all voted against Exxon's leadership. And they said that shareholder value is threatened by Exxon's failure to have a long-term strategy on climate risk. Exxon could be in a situation where they have stranded assets. They're investing in business as usual, but business is going to change. It has to change. And so the investors are very concerned about what's going to happen to their money because this oil has to be sitting in the ground. So I mentioned Phillips 66. They're transitioning to renewable fuels. Exxon has been really recalcitrant in acknowledging global warming. They funded an, uh, the Heartland Institute based on the same model that tobacco used, big tobacco used to, to create doubt about the, the dangers of smoking. Very similarly, Exxon funded institutes to sow doubt about climate change. And they still have not embraced the reality that we're all facing. And, and so its financial future is perhaps not as rosy as, as people were stating. So when it comes to balancing risks versus benefits, those are things that I consider in my decision and weighing process. Well, thank you for sharing. I think adding that, you know, contextual evidence and that contextual reasoning and explaining why, you know, this is what everyone is saying is, is really helpful for listeners, but also to add that this is showing that Exxon is kind of grabbing at the coast of California again. 
because of all of these different regions. So, I mean, and the recent October spill off the coast of Huntington Beach kind of re-energized efforts in California to end offshore drilling. But the next problem is decommissioning all these platforms. And it's estimated that decommissioning all 27 oil platforms, 23 of which are federally owned, is going to cost over $2 billion, according to a report from ABC News. So what is this transition from oil to renewable energy look like to you and to the board? Well, I, I just want to underscore what you just said. The decommissioning process is going to be huge. And we're already in a position with Veneco where public dollars have to be used to, to help decommission. It's a huge complex, probably more difficult even than putting them into place is decommissioning. So we see Chevron is doing it now, and I think they're doing it right. They're really bringing their best engineers and thinking about how to do this and, and developing a strategy. But we see the tip of the iceberg with these platforms, but there's all kinds of stuff underneath the ocean that we don't see. And this equipment is over 40 years old now, and, and that's getting on beyond its initial projected life. So it, it does raise lots of questions. I always think of two pictures of Park Avenue in New York City. In 1900, there were 40 horse-drawn carriages and one car. And 13 years later, in 1913, there's about 40 cars and one horse-drawn carriage. So transformation can happen very quickly. And we're building, building, building the infrastructure for electric transportation. And as you mentioned, offshore wind in state and federal waters, we're building the Strauss Wind Project onshore. We are part of a process of thinking about economic development with REACH and Vandenberg Air Force Base and Slow County. And we envision the Central Coast being the renewable energy capital of the country. Uh, we have the wind, we have the sun, we have a lot of the transmission capability. So uh, I, we need to begin envisioning that new future. There's also discussion of desalination plants offshore that could use wind or solar energy. So we're going to have impacts to our oceans for sure, but I think that is the direction we have to go. There's no question. And, and rather than subsidizing gasoline and gas guzzling cars, this is really the opportunity to go electric. I think it's about $1 in electricity charges to go as much as now $5 or $6 a, a gallon of gasoline. So it's, it's much cheaper now to go electric. So it's much more efficient. I think it's like 20 moving parts compared to 2000. And you can see the state of California pushing that. I mean, EV drivers are getting prime parking spots. They're getting all of these benefits. So it's definitely something you're exactly. seeing. And subsidies in addition. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with me. Is there anything, final closing thoughts about not only this bill, but anything you see coming in the future? Well, 
for the county, we have our climate action plan coming forward. And we, we have certain goals that we wanna reach in terms of greenhouse gas reduction, and uh, we're falling short. And had the Exxon project been approved, they would have restarted their Las Flores facility, and that would have been the largest greenhouse gas producer in the county. But we're still not meeting our goals. So that that's going to be another issue. We we'll also have a commercial solar ordinance that will be coming back so that we can encourage solar development, particularly on cattle ranches in North County, where with the drought, it becomes very difficult to support cattle, but uh, we'd like to see commercial solar developed. So trying to make that easier for potential ranch owners in, in North County. I'm excited to see what Santa Barbara puts forward. I think they're definitely environmentally progressive in that sense. So thank you so much, Supervisor and Chair Joan Hartman, for joining me on the Indy this week. Thank you, Molly. A coalition of 350 Santa Barbara environmental rights organizations opposed the proposal, some calling this an enormous victory against oil industry pollution on the West Coast. Here to talk more about the final decision as well as the environmental future of Santa Barbara is Nadia Abushanab from the Santa Barbara County Action Network. So first off, Nadia, tell me about this coalition of environmental rights organizations. How closely did SBCAN work with other orgs to form this united front against this proposal? Yeah, so we are a part of several different um, coalitions, actually, and multiple of which do work on oil issues throughout Santa Barbara County. Um, This proposal obviously has been a big deal for us and for a lot of other organizations in Santa Barbara, just even as someone who's really engaged in these issues and someone whose job it is to follow these issues, it can be very confusing, you know, following the Board of Supervisors agendas and then what has to go to the Planning Commission and all these different things. So that was really helpful to just make sure that we're all on the same page because a lot of these people were volunteers as well. So yeah, it was just kind of like an information sharing space. My personal role, I helped organize those meetings, but everyone really played a different part in that. And what do you think rejecting this proposal says to big oil companies who want to rebuild offshore oil infrastructure in Santa Barbara? I hope that we sent a message that the time for new oil projects has passed and it's not something that we are going to approve in Santa Barbara County, that these aging oil platforms really just need to be shut down and properly abandoned. And we really need to be looking towards renewables for our energy solutions in this county and everywhere. And how do you think the Board of Supervisors can utilize SBCAN and other organizations' resources to start proposing renewable energy plans? Yeah, well, I just think that this project for the whole time that it's been in the works, there's just been such strong opposition to it from the community, not just from these organized groups, but also individuals calling in and really saying, we don't want another oil spill. We don't want what happened in 1969. We don't want what happened in 2014. We're just done with that in Santa Barbara County. So I think that you know, our members at SBCAN and the people we work with are, are just a one small part of that. 
larger voice. And I think that's really helpful for the board of supervisors to, you know, they are serving their constituents. So if enough people are saying this is not something we want to see, then that helps give them the backing to deny these like huge companies when they come in with these proposals. Now, I know this vote has kind of been a long time coming, but what do you think some next steps are going forward as an environmental rights organization? What's SBCAN looking to do next, I guess, with renewable energy or other issues that are going on in Santa Barbara right now? Yeah, one other issue that comes to mind is the Chumash Marine Sanctuary, the the Chumash Heritage Marine Sanctuary, I believe, is the name, and that would Um, create a marine sanctuary in the area where those oil rigs are and all the way up to Monterey. So that would really help protect the coast from all sorts of damaging environmental things, one of which is offshore oil drilling, but also, you know, disruptive fishing practices. And yeah, it can it can just be a whole host of things. So we're definitely in support of that. And that would be a really broad scoping process that we could support that goes beyond Santa Barbara County. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add, not only about oil, but about anything going on in Santa Barbara? I mean, it really is a town that tries to be environmentally progressive and green. So, yeah, I guess I just want to say that I know there's a lot of talk of the, you know, gas prices going up. I think a lot of people at the hearing, I think people are concerned about that. And I totally understand that. And I think a lot of people at the left the hearing feeling like, well, these prices are increasing. Why can't we just have this like locally sourced oil to help address that? And that makes sense. I understand why people would think that, but there's just isn't really that connection. It just doesn't really work that way because the U.S. exports about 50% of our crude oil and the board of supervisors really has no control over where that oil goes, even if it is produced locally in county. Um, And that oil would be, you know, be refined in Santa Maria, but then it was going to be refined in Kern. So who knows where it's going to go from there. And this project would have only produced 0.06% of the daily use of the whole United States on oil. So even if it did end up in the U.S., even if it ended up in Santa Barbara County, it just, it's not even a drop in the bucket. Um, So yes, the oil prices are going up and that is, I understand that that is very concerning to people, but it's just drilling more, especially in Santa Barbara County, is not the solution. Well, that's great clarification. So even if this project did go through, the Board of Supervisors wouldn't be able to control where that oil went. What you're saying is it wouldn't have even made an impact on the gas prices right here in Santa Barbara. Am I correct? Yeah, that's right. And I just think that the, yeah, the solution is, is renewables. You know, people always talk about, well, sometimes the sun doesn't shine, the wind doesn't blow. And that's true. But also sometimes there's global unrest and you don't want to import your oil from Russia. So I think we're just really seeing that these quote unquote, like more stable sources of energy are are actually not even that reliable. And if we can have more locally produced energy, which is going to be solar and wind here, then that really does help us be more independent as as a county and as a country. Well, thank you so much, Nadia. This was very, very informative. And thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 
At the end of 2021, five of California's offshore platforms were in an early stage of decommissioning. Another six were rendered inactive as former operators dispute responsibility for the costs of decommissioning the platforms. The problem is, some of those platforms are over 50 years old, and the older the platform, the more likely it is to leak. For Californians and Santa Barbarans alike, the next step to phasing out offshore oil for good would be breaking down this infrastructure as soon as possible. In February of this year, eight oil platforms off the coast of Santa Barbara were set to be decommissioned in the next 10 years. This is the first group among the 23 out-of-date platforms the Federal Bureau of Safety and Environmental Enforcement has issued to be deconstructed. So what's next for oil in Santa Barbara? As gas prices reach record highs, will big oil companies put more pressure on the western coast? As one of the greenest cities in the world, it seems Santa Barbara won't give in without a fight. For the Santa Barbara Independent, I'm Molly McEnany. Tune into the Indy next week for another episode.